Welcome to Red, White, and Brown, the podcast that discusses the interesting upbringing of Desi American immigrants and what happens when the Eastern cultures meet the Western world. I'm Prerak. And I'm Sophia. And today we're going to be talking about being first generation Desi American and pursuing a non traditional career path. Mm, interesting. So, the reason we <laughs> wanted to do an episode on this topic is because we've received a lot of questions about the subject. And although the two of us are actually in very traditional career paths, we're both <laughs> in medical school right now. This is about as traditional as it gets. <laughs> we also both have businesses in the media space. So, Priyak on YouTube me through like blogging and Instagram and together both of us obviously have this podcast. Mm-hmm. So although we are pursuing traditional career paths, we're also kind of dabbling in something more creative as well. Mm-hmm. And we have some guests on this episode who are truly pursuing non-traditional career paths full time. And they're going to share a little bit about their experience later on in the episode as well. I think that'll be really insightful because as Sophia mentioned, we're more part-time, but these people are full-time, so we'll get more insights. But before we do that, let's start by defining what it means to have a non-traditional career path. Um, Sophia mentioned it, but to me, that's literally anything, at least in the Desi community, a non-traditional career is anything outside of medicine, law, engineering, and I'll add in finance in the traditional sense of like banking and consulting, right? So anything outside of those four general domains, I consider to be non-traditional because as you always know, there's always the Indian meme of the Indian uncle saying like engineering, like doctor or like lawyer. That's just the way it goes. So those paths tend to be common, especially among higher achieving Desi Americans in the first generation. But to go beyond that, I think... You have to go into consulting, investment banking, whatever. All of that tends to also be in like what we consider to be like traditional career paths. Yeah, like no one can say consulting is like you're branching out and pursuing a non-traditional path. Yeah, no, that's like pretty common now, and I think most people you know recognize those. Yeah. So at that point, I guess an official non-traditional career path ends up being something creative in the arts, writing, entrepreneurship, um, history, even. And so it's really difficult to know entirely how people get into that. Um, So there's truly a reluctance to pursue these paths. Mm -hmm. And Sophia, how about you? Have you felt that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I kind of always give the example of having been interested in like makeup and fashion and stuff from a young age, which probably is partly just due to the fact that I'm a girl and like those things are, you know, pushed onto girls as like things you should be interested in. But Growing up, I never considered any of those interests as, like, viable career paths. And, you know, my parents used to say, like, fashion isn't a job. Um, And, like, on one hand, I think that's just because, like, it probably doesn't seem like there's a lot of money in those fields. Um, And I think the other part is just there's not a lot of clarity about how to even enter those fields. Yeah, like, like how do you even enter the domain, right? Like, it's so tough. There's no, like, fashion school, per se, that, like, after you graduate, you are now officially a fashionista in this domain. (laughs) I mean, well, so there is fashion school, but I think it's still less concrete of a path than, like, the path to becoming a doctor or a nurse. Absolutely. Right? It's like... It feels like you need some sort of connection or like an in, you know, and and I think that's changed a lot. But I think 20 years ago when my parents were saying like, hey, fashion isn't a job, um, it wasn't really clear how to um, enter enter that field. And I think like it wasn't. It wasn't obvious, like, hey, these are the five jobs in the fashion industry. You can be a fashion writer. You can curate 
like yeah. department stores collections like it just there was no transparency about uh what jobs exist in those fields so i think that's also part of it absolutely um, i mean part yeah. of that is also the uh you can look at the opposite end right like so being a doctor lawyer uh, engineer there's a very set path to that and they also have like the end point and after which they know there's enough demand that you will end up having a job so the the mm-hmm. route to market for those particular desired career paths is a lot more uh, visible that might be why they prefer it So I guess that already hints into why there is this reluctance to pursue non-traditional career paths. And I think part of it is we're Desi, we're immigrants just by the definition that we're Desi, right? And so immigrants tend to not like having a job that's not secure. And oftentimes the jobs that are secure are these traditional lawyer, doctor, engineer, because those are not easily replaceable, nor are they low paying, right? Mm-hmm. Those, those are secure jobs with a steadily high income. Uh, so you don't have to jump through too many hoops and you end up getting employed. So you, it's kind of like the shortest distance between two points, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and in just the same sense, fashion, for example, Sophia, isn't, isn't entirely that linear and nor is mm-hmm. it that transparent. So parents don't want that level of instability for their kids because they grew up in, a, in an environment where they desire stability, right? So yeah. there's, there's a lot of like keeping up with the Joneses mentality as well. And this is way, 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 way more prevalent in the Daisy community than like any other. But like, oh, my kid is doing this. Let me like show off and like make sure other people know my kid is just as cool as their kid yeah yeah i think there is a little bit of like judgment around other people's career choices yeah in our community for sure so it kind of makes sense that parents want their kids to like measure up Mm. um but i think so i definitely feel like non-immigrant students and young people take a lot more risks that you don't see in the daisy american community as much what do you mean so i feel like i always see non-daisy students like taking time off to do things for example taking a year between high school and college to do a study abroad program oh yeah a daisy person would never do that (laughs) yeah yeah like princeton had a really great study abroad program called bridge year and basically you delay starting college by one year and you live in another country for that year oh interesting um and it's like a really great opportunity um but you know i i know like some daisy people who have done it but i do think it's like less common or just another example is taking time to like just travel after college and you know pursue something interesting yeah exactly exactly or just like pursuing a business venture where like you know it might fail but you're still going to give yourself a year to pursue that dream and like take the chance yeah um i feel like they see americans like they sometimes do it but it's more like people who are very affluent and like don't have any financial concern otherwise it just seems like you know, unless something is directly going to help you with your career goals, it seems like a waste of time and earning potential to a lot of like Desi families, I think. I think it's, it's in the upbringing, right? Which is, as I said, if you've brought up under without, without much money, then you're always thinking of like, okay, I can't risk anything. I cannot risk anything at this point. So mm-hmm. chances are you probably won't pursue these, um, these more leisurely, so to speak, uh, activities roles. or yeah. like yeah i i agree i mean i think obviously not all these americans don't have money that's not the case at all mm-hmm. but i think immigrants in general are more likely to just be conscious of like finances and stuff and like 
I think the other example you were mentioning before the show is like when picking a major, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where majors, I feel like most commonly we end up picking something engineering, math, science related, and mm-hmm. very rarely... And you still do see them, but there are more rarities. Will you see like a, a desi going into like history or art history or art, you know, like or philosophy? It's it's more rare, I personally think. Yeah, 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 I would agree with that. So let's transition actually to some of our interviews. So our first interview is going to be with Shashank Gupta. And we are so excited to have him on. Sophia, can you give us an intro on him? Yeah, so Shashank is the owner of the largest Indian bridal boutique in the U.S., Nazrana, as well as the executive producer of a TV show and web series, Nazrana Diaries, which has over 13 million views. Shashank moved to the U.S. in 2005 from Mumbai when he was 15, and he graduated from Rutgers University with a double major in supply chain management and economics, and then he went on to join his family business, which he is clearly taking to new heights. So without further ado, let's just jump right into our first question. Shashank, how did you get your start in the fashion world? Sophia, thank you for having me. Um, my uh, this It's been in the family for, for generations. We've been um, textile retailers, exporters. Um, so really learning pretty much happened by osmosis for me. Um, my first business trip was when I was 10. I went to, my dad t- took me to a silk factory to see how silk was made. Uh, it truly was an experience. And then uh, my first brush with brick and mortar stores happened when I was 16. Um, I opened my first uh, retail store, it's called Just Jewelry. Uh, it didn't last too long, but um, it gave me a lot of experience in, in managing inventory systems and things like that. And I fully entered the business in 2012. Uh, once I graduated college and I took over the wholesale side of our business, as well as like expanded aggressively in opening retail stores. So in September of 2012, uh, like six months after graduation or four months after graduation, I moved to Houston for three months and literally built out a store from scratch. So buying the wood, uh, hammering the nails in the wood to, to make the physical structure, uh, POS systems, camera systems, sound systems, lighting, um, all of it. Um, so that's, I, I really learned everything, uh, with more hands-on experience than anything else. Wow. That's really awesome. It sounds like you really had a chance to get your hands dirty and get practical experience as well outside of just studying business in school. But Sashank, can you tell us what actually led you to branch out and start Nazrana Diaries? I mean, you already had the shop and the boutique for Nazrana. So why did you take this extra risk to start something totally new? So uh, Nazrana Diaries, actually the idea came about in 2014 because there's no U.S.-based South Asian designer. If you really wanted designer garments in the U.S., you would have to go to India, Pakistan, or Bangladesh. There is no really dominant uh, designer based in the U.S. who understands this market. Everything that's made in India or Pakistan is catered to the audience that is there, right? They don't understand our problems, our situations, our settings, the kind of events we have. So all those things combined. Plus, one thing that we really started to see was a growth in fusion weddings. So there's a study out um, which says from 2000 till now, there's been a 38% increase in intercultural and interfaith weddings. And we saw that very clearly in our stores. So close to 30 or 40% of the brides we were catering to were, were fusion weddings, uh, whether that's desi to non-desis 
or it is from um, just within the culture to like a South Indian guy getting married to a Gujarati girl. Um, so a lot of these fusion aspects, whether they're more cultural or faith based, um, and we wanted to sort of bring that in front of the South Asian audience and show it to them that, hey, this is now the norm and not the exception and uh, make it entertaining at the same time. Wow, that is really cool. You are so right that these intercultural weddings are so much more common now and in the U.S. Um, and it's so amazing to highlight that. Wait, so Shank, so I actually really love this because I think that what you're essentially doing is breaking the traditional norms of the way South Asians typically view things in a very creative way. And I just think that's absolutely inspirational. Did you ever feel that pursuing this path was a risk or non-traditional in any way or that branching out into entertainment was a risk? So branching out into entertainment didn't feel as much of a risk, but um, definitely creating the show felt like um, a very massive risk. And, and for a couple of reasons, right? Because A, you have this sort of imposter syndrome where we know by market cap, we are the biggest in our industry, right? Um, however, it's just you keep telling yourself this, this, are you good enough to be on TV? Are you big enough? Or are people actually going to watch what you put out? And then it's also, since we are the hosts of our own show, is putting your life out there, your stories out there. And more importantly, uh, the customers that we have that we have on the show are sort of have become good friends over time and um, getting their stories in a way out that um, that doesn't necessarily impact them in, in a negative way um, was was really one of the, the bigger concerns that, that we had. Um, and fortunately, it has it has worked out well. I mean, who doesn't get trolled? Right. Um, so it is it is what it is. Oh, that is so true. Trolls will always exist, but it's great that you guys are being thoughtful about the people that you have on. That's still important. What has been the most challenging part of the journey for you? Um, so I'd like to answer that in two parts, uh, one on the show side and one on the store side. So on the store side, even to this day, when couples sort of come to us and we do a lot of customization, um, I mean, we, we have the biggest store, but still couples have different visions in mind and they're trusting you as the experts in the industry to guide them with that and i can very clearly see um what i am describing to a customer in my head because i do this day in day out but they have a hard time envisioning what their final outfit's going to be like um so being able to come through on that and uh, being able to deliver and help them walk through that process every time and, and even during the final product when they actually receive their outfits to make sure that it, it fits their expectations is um is fairly challenging um it might it might not seem like that on the surface when you're in the store uh but shivangi and i we both ideate a lot in making sure that whatever we have discussed with the clients will end up looking right when it finally comes to them and on the show side it was really more about managing my personal expectations with what's the reality so i remember when we came out with the pilot i thought we were going to get famous overnight um, everyone's going to know us. This is going to be the next big thing. And that definitely did not happen. <laughs> uh, but it was, it was an incredible learning experience. And slowly and steadily, we kept chipping at it 
And today we're at a point where we're at season three. Um, so, yes. Okay, wow. I'm so glad you said that because that really is something that people need to hear. And that is honestly probably one of the hardest parts about starting a business or starting anything really is that you just have to be so consistent even when you don't see results, right? Because most businesses or, you know, entertainment, like, they don't go viral. That's the fact, right? Like most things are not going viral. It's usually just being consistent. So I actually relate a lot to this primarily because I also have a YouTube channel. It's not nearly as big as Nazrana Diaries, but um, I remember when I first started, I was hoping that, you know, I would just get viral views and go viral very fast. And that's very far from the truth. I think it started with maybe like, I was lucky if I got even like a hundred views. And it was, it wasn't until I started posting consistently for almost like three years that you slowly start to get traction. But I totally resonate with the fact that you have unrealistic expectations and you have to adjust. So for our last question, um, what advice do you have for young South Asian Americans who want to pursue a path that might not be quite as clear cut as like something like engineering or medicine? Um, or, you know, if they want to start something entrepreneurial or just anything non-traditional? Um, so I think one of the biggest things anyone, whether even if they're going to go in the more traditional fields, is uh, before making that decision, we, especially if they're young, they should really work on themselves. And what I mean by that is both their body and their mind. Uh, because if both those things function the way you want, um, what you want to achieve will become much easier, much simpler. Right. If you want to conquer the world, the, the, the mechanism that you hand at doing that is first your physical body. And if that's listening to you and your mind's listening to you, then you can set your goals and, and achieve them. Um, so I would highly recommend no matter what career path you end up choosing, before you do that, take some time off for yourself. Cut yourself off away from the world for two to five days and really focus on what you want to do. Um, and I think whatever you set your mind to do at that point, um, you will be able to do because that's truly what you would want um, out of a career from your life. That's really interesting. I like that. I think you're right. It's so important to be reflective before you know taking the plunge or jumping into things. I totally agree. Meditation has been very helpful for me uh, to allow me to function at my best. I actually was using Headspace earlier on, and now I do a lot of walking meditation where I just kind of walk and take in the moment. And it's been it's been mind-boggling how big of a difference that can make on my perspective. Absolutely. And yoga and meditation practices will will aid and go really far along in, in getting there. I mean, I started with 12 minutes daily, and now I'm up to like two and a half hours. I wake up at 5.15 every morning, haven't skipped a single day, and have a solid two and a half hour routine in the morning. And it's phenomenal. It gives me more energy to go throughout the day. I eat less, I sleep less, and I feel better. That's awesome. Shashank, thank you so much for coming on the episode. This was really great. Um, and I'm sure that this episode was definitely helpful for the listeners as well. So really, thank you so much. Thank you, Sophia and Prerik, for doing this. Um, really appreciate it. Um, and if there's anyone else who needs help, um, I'm more than happy to help in any way I can. Please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, my email is shashankg840 at gmail.com. And um, if truly there's any way I can help, I'm, I'll be more than happy to do so. All right. And our second interview of the episode is with our friend Chavi, who also has a non-traditional career. So let's get right into that. Um, hi, Chavi. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We're so excited to have you. 
Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and talk to both of you. It's going to be fun. Yes, it will. Let's just get into the questions. I think so. Yeah, the first one. Yeah, so let's just jump right into it. So, Chavi, how would you define your career to someone who, um, you know, maybe you were just meeting for the first time? Honestly, that is, (laughs) that's such a tough question because I feel like there is, there's not just one thing I do, you know, like, that's the beautiful part about being in the time that we're in. You can be so many different things and there's really no limit. So I would say like the general description I would use is I'm a model and actress, but I definitely like I've spoken at events and I see myself as a speaker. I have also um, just like uh, I want to have my own business someday. I help my parents out with their business. So it's just so many different things. It's so hard to put into one description, but I'm just excited about whatever the future holds. And I love that we can do that nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. Um, What has your journey been like? My journey, my journey has been all over the place. I kid you not. Um, When I was, so in high school, I wanted to major in marketing. I wanted to be a marketing manager at maybe like, you know, a fortune 100 company. That was my goal. I went into college wanting to major in marketing. And then my pageant happened, which was totally random, did not think that would happen at all. But, you know, I won Miss New Jersey USA. I got exposure to what it's like to be in front of the camera and to create something. And I think just that experience made me fall in love with the idea of a career in front of the camera. So then I switched gears. I still continued studying marketing at school, but then I had in my head that, okay, I want to try giving entertainment, like acting, modeling, hosting, all of those things a shot and just see where that takes me and explore and figure that stuff out for a little bit. So that's what I'm doing right now. Awesome. Interesting. So it seems like you already started with marketing as kind of your initial jumping off point. And then you kind of had a little bit of a pivot with the whole Miss New Jersey, no big deal thing that happened. (laughs) Um, But that's great. So you clearly have had this journey. And what challenges have you faced, you know, as you've gone about, you know, going about this path that is traditionally actually very non-traditional in a very brown, brown culture, for sure. No, absolutely. I feel like, you know, I'm the first person in my family to do anything of this sort. No one in my family has done a beauty pageant. Um, My mom and my dad are from very conservative families. They're like my grandmothers. They were child brides. They had the whole responsibility of a family given to them when they were teenagers, essentially. And my mom, she wasn't able to wear jeans when she was in college. Like that's just how strict her parents were. Um, She didn't start wearing jeans till after she got married. So, you know, coming from a family that is so traditional and so conservative and to be doing something in a sphere that's completely like, it's totally different from anything they would have imagined. It's, it's interesting. And I would say I have had to figure out a lot of the things for myself, but I enjoy that process. I think it's in that journey of figuring things out for yourself that you learn a lot and you grow a lot. And it's just, it's, it's helped me get to where I am today. So I'm very grateful for that whole thing. That's awesome. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, just 
I'm sure you've experienced people like maybe not understanding your career path, which can be frustrating Mm -hmm. or, you know, have you felt any stigma as you've gone about this path at all? I think there's always just, you know, I think for the most part, people have been very supportive of me and there's this pride amongst our community now, which I love that, you know, I think a lot of the parents understand that their kids are going to take these non-traditional career paths and they try to support them. So I've received a lot of support from the Desi community, but I've also had instances, you know, where one or two people will be like, are you sure that's the right thing to do? Are you sure that's a safe thing to do? Is this industry something that is going to lead to long-term, like a long-term secure future? So I've gotten those types of comments. I've gotten things when I talk about Instagram and like the influencer life, people don't really understand that. They're like, is that really a career? You're making money through social media. That's like, why is that such a big deal? And they haven't really understood that whether it's taking pictures or shooting content, that's a part of my job. It's not, it's not just something I'm doing for fun. It's, it's, there's so much marketing and so much strategy involved in that. So, you know, there are people who don't really understand that and they have, they'll have comments here and there that, are a little ignorant to that, but the world is changing. Things are changing. This, the whole scope of what you can make into a career and into an income is also changing with technology. So it's just, it's time that people start understanding that and moving forward with the times. I totally agree with you. I mean, I've experienced similar too, where people don't quite understand that, you know, it, these fields can be quite lucrative, Um, but you know, they're just, these fields have just come out in the last like 10 years. So it's, yeah, things are changing quickly. Um, and isn't it cool that we're pioneers? I just, I get so excited thinking about that. Like, like we are leading this whole change. We're, people are going to look at this years from now, maybe like 2040 and be like, oh my goodness, that's when social media started changing. These were some of the early people that were, this is what they were doing. I just, it's so exciting to me. I love that. I know. I totally agree. I think, yeah, things are changing. I don't think advertising and marketing will ever go back to what it was before, like billboards and magazines, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. we're not going back to those days. Yeah. Just think about it, right? Like advertising 20 years ago was mostly done through TVs and actually coming to a point where, most advertisers are actually spending most of their revenue for advertising on platforms like Instagram or, or Snapchat. It's all of these now new social media sites that are taking over how people now consume news. And that's actually the reason why advertisers are flocking to these like new sites now. And you're right. Like this is definitely the forefront of the next generation. Cause I think news on the television are te- is definitely like outdated 20 years from now. I can't imagine uh, most people watching TV as opposed to like scrolling their phone through Instagram, which is kind of what we're already seeing. Well, we literally, the whole scope of advertising has changed so much. Like, like you were saying with TV, you know, like when you look at these commercials on TV, I look at them sometimes and I'm like, I can't imagine buying something off of this anymore. But like, for example, if I see Sophia's outfit, I'll be like, oh, that is cute. Okay, I'm going to go check out this site. And like, it's just so much more personal and it's so much more effective. I love it. I love that we're in this revolution right now. Well, it seems like you're pretty, you're optimistic, which is phenomenal. And it seems like you've had the support to have this optimistic view. Um, And it 
to, to kind of substantiate that, it seems like you've come up with strategies to cope with, you know, any negative news or any negative Nancy's that come your way. So what strategies have worked in helping you, um, you know, deal with the haters, so to speak? And I'm sure you get haters on Instagram virtually, but I'm sure you kind of also think about like those aunties and uncles who are always casting an eyebrow and saying like, oh, this isn't traditional. Like this is not, you know, secure, so to speak. Um, so how do you, what, what strategies have helped you cope with cope with that and what strategies haven't been as, as effective? Well, you know what? I think it all comes down to having a solid group of like a, like a core, you know, like having that core group of friends, family, loved ones who keep you grounded. And I am so blessed that I have such amazing friends and family members in my life that support me and are there for me through this and who do give me that reinforcement when I need it because it can get hard like whether it's a career in entertainment or Instagram there's a lot of things that are not in your control all the time and to have their support and just to be like you know what it's it's all going to work out it's going to be okay you just keep doing you and providing like the best content you can do like you can provide that's really helpful. So I would say that for sure is one thing. And the second thing is I spend a lot of time on self-care and I put my mental health as number one. For me, that means like having a solid morning routine where I spend time meditating and gratitude journaling. And I feel like these small little practices, when you do them every single day, it transforms your life to a massive extent where it shows you like, you know, Gratitude journaling, for example, it lets you reflect on your day and it also lets you appreciate the good in a day. So I feel that, you know, we have good things and bad things, or just we have a lot of different experiences throughout the day. And it's up to us to focus on either like, how are we going to, how are we going to interpret these events? How are we going to interpret all these circumstances that we face? Are we going to try to complain about them or are we going to try to look at them as, lessons and try to glean the lessons from these situations and use that to improve ourselves. So just like little things like that, they make such a big difference in your mindset and your shift. Um, I would say that that is really what helps me with my mental health and the ability to cope with these haters, whether they're online or in person. So you mentioned gratitude journaling. That's actually phenomenal. I've heard a little bit about it. For anyone who hasn't, can you kind of briefly walk through how exactly you go about gratitude journaling um, or even like some of the things you you do every morning that, you know, have been very effective for you? Yeah, absolutely. So I have, so my morning routine starts off with like the first hour after I wake up, I do not check my phone. Like, I mean, I'll use my phone because my alarm is on my phone and my meditation apps are on my phone, but I don't use social media sites. I don't respond to any messages. I don't even look at any messages because it'll tempt me to answer things. So uh, I stay away from my phone in that sense. And I will wake up, I will meditate for 10 minutes and just find that grounding, find that time for myself. And then when it comes to gratitude journaling, I uh, actually made a video about this on my Instagram a few days ago. But I try to focus on specifics and I try to go into detail about what I'm grateful for. So for example, um, before I would say something like, I am so grateful for my friends. And then I started changing that into being like, I am so grateful that my friend called me yesterday to check up on me when I was having a low day. I appreciate her so much. And having a, gr- having a group of people like that in my life that encourage me when I'm down is so meaningful to me. And just taking that time to show my appreciation for my friend, it helps me then later on. So I would say that 
like that is just, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's crazy. I can't even tell you how much, how many benefits I've gleaned from that. Wow. That's, that's really great. I'm, I'm so happy to hear that and that you have, um, you know, these mechanisms to like take care of your mental health and, um, yeah, just to reflect on like everything that's happening. I think that's awesome. Um, do you have any advice, uh, maybe beyond like gratitude journaling and stuff that, you know, maybe for someone who's thinking of pursuing a non-traditional career path, um, and like, what are things that could help, could help someone, uh, who's maybe, um, in your shoes, like five years ago? Oh gosh. Okay. So five years ago, I was 18. Um, I really had no idea what I wanted to do. I would just say a lot of amazing things have happened in my life because I've just said yes to opportunities. I think we really, we don't always like see the value of saying yes or trying new things. But if you keep yourself open to what's out there, you never know where it'll take you. I kid you not, this whole pageant thing, I didn't plan on that. I I was a very nerdy and awkward kid growing up, okay? Like to the extreme. And I just, a beauty pageant was not even on my radar. But, you know, I saw this opportunity and I was like, let me just give this a shot and see what happens. And it worked out so well, like it is one of the most, you know, it's one of my proudest moments, my proudest accomplishments. And it's one of the best moments of my life. I grew so much through the process. So I think if you go through life with the mindset, let me just see what happens and try new things. You will be astounded by by where that takes you. So having that just outlook, if you are confused about what you want to do or where you want to go, just explore, explore and try new things. It seems like one of the themes we hit on throughout all of this is that you keep people around you that have clearly helped you accomplish what it is you want to accomplish, even though it's been relatively Mm non-traditional. And one of those essential components, I'm sure, is your family. So how has your family been supportive or maybe even not so supportive, um, depending on your perspective? And what have you gleaned from that? You know, I'm, I'm very grateful, definitely, that my, my family, or especially my mom, my mom is my best friend. She is very supportive of those things. Like she, she will see things with like a long-term vision and she'll see like, you know, it's not just like a pageant. She's like, you know, this could be really good for you. Maybe you could build a brand. Maybe you could have a business and all of these. Like she has a very good like future, like foresight. She has very good foresight. So um, she has always been very encouraging in that. And I feel like, you know, other family members, they have a little bit of like that traditional mindset. But I think at the end of the day, if you are very solid in what you want to do, if you know who you are, why you're doing what you're doing, it doesn't really matter what they think. Um, It's at the end of the day, it's your life. You're the one living it. And, you know, there's that one saying, it's easier to ask for uh, forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. So sometimes you just got to do that. You just got to do what you got to do. And then if, if it works out, then most likely they'll be on board with it. And then if it doesn't, then, you know, oh, well. You know, I, I always give the example of Gabi Kushi, Gabi Gum. Sophia's heard this like so many times, right? Where even if, let's say, you don't have as supportive of a family as you've had, I think brown parents at heart want what's best for Absolutely. you. Right. And if that happens to be something non-traditional, but you genuinely do love it, I do think it might take them a while to come around to it. 
But as far as my experiences I've seen, I've seen a pretty large sample size of brown brown parents, including the ones in Gabi Kushi Gabi Gum, I think, right? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I think if you have enough of a passion and they see that drive come through, right? Like, let's say your parents weren't even as supportive about uh, your, mo- your modeling experience, yeah. and, but you stuck to it, right? You're maybe stuck to it for a couple of years now. It's clearly a huge part of your identity. Mm-hmm. I would imagine eventually they'd say like, wow, she's, this is, she's happy right? Like that's, yeah. that's more important than anything. That's what they want at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think you're hitting on a huge point, which is just follow what you want to do. And you're your own own person. And I think as brown people, we're always told to live for others, right? Because we're yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. approval. But if you do what you want to do, and you do it with enough passion to convince people like, hey, this is a thing, and it's possible to have this be a thing that yeah. I can't imagine uh, you would have much resistance for too long but you know we can always be outliers Sophia yeah no I I totally agree that's so funny that you're including the parents and gubby pushy gubby gum in in your sample size (laughs) of brown parents but okay um but no I totally agree um we've talked about this before too on previous episodes so um I think this was a really uh helpful interview though for someone who you know, might be considering pursuing a non-traditional career path and like maybe they just need that little extra push of encouragement. So thank you so much for coming on, Chavi. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. But yeah, that was our episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please subscribe, rate and review, um, and then share this episode with friends. We would really appreciate if you like take a screenshot, share it to your story on Instagram. Um, yeah, just spread the word because that is the only way we're going to be able to continue making this show for you guys. Absolutely. So So we'll see you next episode. Bye, guys. Bye.